0: Well, I just want to mention um, that Katie and I have a ton of respect for Scott and Julie. Uh, even though we haven't really been at this church, we've kind of been in the, I guess, the orbit of this church for a while. And Scott and Julie are uh, examples to us uh, of resiliency, of faithfulness, of, uh, I guess you could say, spiritual toughness and patience. And uh, we're hoping that in our ministry, if the Lord does please to give us a a long-term ministry, that we can emulate those uh, qualities. And uh, so I just, I think so highly of Scott and Julie. Katie does too. And uh, we're just so blessed to have them in our lives. Well, please open your Bibles uh, to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going to be focused on the first three verses of that chapter this morning. So Hebrews chapter 12. And follow along as I read, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, our eyes are easily distracted, wrong things, so would you help us today, would you elevate our vision today, Uh, to see the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory. Would you help me to preach him well and faithfully from this text? We commit it to you. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, I confess this morning that I'm not a very good runner. I'm not very fast. My running mechanics are poor. In fact, some of my baseball pals used to call me spaghetti legs because of my clumsy running style. Uh, The truth is I don't like running. It's hard. It hurts. Uh, But even a non-runner like me knows this. The way you run a race determines how you finish the race. See, we all know that when an athlete crosses the finish line in first place, it's because he or she ran well. We also understand that those who finished poorly in a race did so because they ran poorly. The quality of the finish is determined by the quality of the run. So, good runners pay attention to how they run, knowing that only by running well can they finish well. Now, brothers and sisters, our text this morning compares our faith to a run, to a race. You and I are running, as it were, towards our eternal destiny. We're straining and striving step by step toward the finish line. When our faith becomes sight and we're with Christ forever. And like a physical race, the way you and I run the race of faith determines how we finish. So I'm wondering if you're running well. If you're running in such a way as to finish strong. But what does it look like to run well? And how do we endure the inevitable difficulties of our course? For Jesus himself said that the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and few are those who find it. And all but the newest Christians know from experience that running after Christ is strenuous, sometimes exhausting. So how do we run the race of faith without growing weary? And giving up. While our text today is meant to help us with such questions, it's meant to strengthen weary runners like us. So listen and heed the word today. Our theme is this, and you can find it in your bulletin. Uh, I'd encourage you to follow along as we go through the sermon. But our theme is this. uh, Since Jesus is the source and example of our faith, we can happily endure the difficult race ahead by fixing our attention on him. Now, the fact that our text admonishes us to run with endurance suggests that not enduring is a real threat. The Hebrew believers who initially received this admonishment were tempted to give up following Christ and to return to their former Judaism. They had started out in Christ, but the difficulties of following him, which in their case was persecution, Uh, tempted them to abandon the faith. So the author warns them against deserting Christ. In fact, just look back at Hebrews chapter 10 for a moment. Let's read a couple verses, starting in 23, verse 23. The author says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. The Hebrew believers are warned not to go back to willful sins since... If they do, they will no longer be a sacrifice of sin. For sin, they will apostatize. And note how in verse 23, they're exhorted to hold fast to their confession and not to waver. See, they needed endurance. In fact, verse 36 says that explicitly. You have need of endurance. Now, we're not facing the particular persecutions that threaten the Hebrew believers, but we too face endurance Threatening difficulties, don't we? I mean, how about relational difficulties? Your allegiance to Christ can strain friendships, even familial bonds. You may face ridicule or rejection because of Christ. You may well be thought of, even if no one says it to your face, as a weirdo or a hater or a prude because you're a Christian. How about what I'm calling quality of life difficulties? You might have less money than your worldly friends because you give generously to this church or because you've taken a less lucrative career path because of the gospel. Or perhaps you have little time to spend on your preferred leisure activities because of your commitment to Christ Fellowship Church. Or perhaps you have a health-related difficulty, not necessarily linked to being a Christian, but nonetheless it discourages you. Or how about spiritual growth difficulties? Feeling hopeless in an ongoing struggle with sin, a general weariness from doing good, being disheartened by a loved one's lack of spiritual interest. And we don't merely face these difficulties as individuals. No, difficulties such as these can discourage an entire church, can't they? I mean, congregational growth can be slow. It can feel like a slog Key church members lose, move away, leaving a void. There seems to be little fruit despite hard gospel labor. Unmet needs being prayed about for years remain unmet. Difficulties like these can tempt us to question whether following Christ is worth it. We need endurance, just like these first century Christians needed endurance. So the author encourages the Hebrew believers by reminding them of past saints who endured in the race of faith. You can read about that in Hebrews 11. And verse 1 of our text says that we also are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. These are Old Testament believers who persevered in the faith. Believers like Abel and Abraham and Joseph and Rahab. They are paradigms of those who did not shrink back but who endured. And these witnesses surround the Hebrew believers. I think we're meant to picture a stadium where present-day believers compete in the midst of a multitude of past contenders who vigorously cheer them on. And I'm not sure if the witnesses are, are literally watching the Hebrew believers or if this is merely a metaphor, but the idea is clear. Current runners in the race of faith can be encouraged to endure by the presence of past runners who finished the race. Notice that the cloud is great. Many have endured in the past. And notice that the cloud is surrounding the Hebrew believers. They aren't alone. They aren't experiencing troubles that others before them have not overcome. Note the continuity between current saints like us and past saints, some of whom died thousands of years ago. We share a common heritage. We're of the same spiritual lineage. We share a common faith. And we don't have time to unpack this fully, but the Old Testament states in Hebrews 11, they put their faith in Christ, just like we put our faith in Christ. They didn't have all the data about Jesus that we have today, but they were looking ahead to the salvific fulfillment of God's promises. So, for example, Abraham... Exhibited faith when he offered up Isaac. That's the same kind of faith that you and I have faith in Christ. Abraham trusted that God would raise Abraham from the dead, since Isaac was the promised one through whom Abraham's offspring would be named. We exercise that same faith, the faith that Abraham exhibited when we put our trust in the resurrection of Christ from the dead. So we share a common heritage, we share a common faith. And we share a common struggle. Just like the Old Testament saints, we're looking ahead to a better reward secured by Christ. Just like them, we're currently enduring difficulties because of our Christ word affections. But compared to Old Testament saints, both we and the Hebrew believers have a distinct privilege. See, Old Testament believers, they only greeted Christ from afar. They died not having received the promise, chapter 11, verse 39 says. But we're new covenant believers. We have received the full revelation of God's promises in Jesus Christ. What they saw with shadowy imprecision, we see with HD clarity. So compared to the faithful heroes of the past, we have all the more reason to endure in the race of faith. So do you see what the author's doing? He's encouraging the weary Hebrew Christians to press on in faith, just like those who came before them, but with the advantage of seeing Christ more perfectly. And so after reminding the Hebrew believers of the faithful saints who came before them, the author calls them to endure. He says, This. He says, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. First, he describes what enduring faith looks like it looks like unhindered running. I remember driving once, and up ahead on the road, I saw somebody running uphill and he was holding a rock in either hand. And I thought to myself, what kind of crazy person would do that? And then as I got closer, I realized it was someone I actually knew, which is kind of funny. (laughs) Running with rocks or extra weight might be a good idea if you're training to be a Navy SEAL or something like that. Uh, It's not a good idea if you're running the race of faith. To endure, we want to be unimpeded as possible. You know, in the ancient world, athletes often competed completely nude so that their movements could not be hindered. Kind of makes you glad we're not living in the ancient world. And even today, if you go for a run, you know, you don't grab your heavy pair of boots and your overcoat. No, you dress lightly. You wear clothes that won't hinder your movement. And the same idea applies to the race of faith. The author gives two specific types of impediments that we're to lay aside or to rid ourselves of. First, we're to lay aside every weight, which I take to mean amoral impediments that slow us down in the race of faith. Not talking about things that are sinful in themselves. We're talking about unhelpful burdens that in some way slow us down. You no, know, a weight could be a preoccupation. I think that's a helpful kind of diagnostic uh, word. It could be a preoccupation with fitness or physical appearance or a preoccupation with politics. I think that's America's true pastime. A preoccupation with personal possessions. You could become preoccupied with such things, and your concern for Christ could wane. As a result, a weight could be a desire that we elevate to a need. I think that word need is very telling. You know, I need to have this job. I need to be married. I need to see my kids and grandkids every single Christmas. I need to go hunting as much as possible during hunting season. I need to watch football. I think that one's okay. <laughs> I need a nicer car or a nicer house or nicer clothes. You know, none of these things is wrong in themselves, but when we make them non-negotiable needs and not just nice things to have that God is free to give or take away, they become burdens that hinder our race of faith, They're weights holding us down. You know, one desire that Katie and I are tempted to make a need for us uh, is the desire to have a house. You know, we have lots of friends in our stage of life that have houses. Some of them have even, you know, bought and now sold their starter home and have their sort of long-term home, and uh, we're just not there. We've, you know, just been moving all over the country the last couple of years, and sometimes we'll be driving along, and I'll see, you know, a nice house, not, not a mansion or anything, just a nice house, and I'll say to Katie, Boy, wouldn't it be cool to have a house like that? See, there's nothing wrong with a desire to have a house. But if Katie and I make that a need, as if God owes us a house, and not just something that he's free to give us if he pleases to, and not free to give us if he pleases to, that can become a stumbling block. See, we could end up pursuing this house that we have decided that we need instead of Pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ, but see Hebrews twelve says that we're to lay aside every weight, not letting a single one burden us, and we're to lay aside sin. But can't you relate to that idea of sin clinging closely to us? I know I can't. I just the other week, I remember I was feeling angry because my uh, uh, airbag light was on in my car and it wasn't going to pass inspection. And I was just feeling angry. I knew I shouldn't be angry about it, so I prayed. I asked God to help me not be angry. And he helped me. I wasn't angry for like seven minutes. (laughs) (laughs) And then I started feeling angry again, and I had to do the whole thing over again. That's how sin works. You know, you throw that sin out, and all of a sudden, oh, it's back. You know, you try to throw it further. Oh, it's back. Sin is sticky. It clings to us. It, It entangles us. We're supposed to cast off all sin continuously. Because of sin's entangling nature, we must constantly disentangle ourselves to run with endurance. We're not to make provision for any pet sins that we kind of like. We're never to cease casting off those more stubborn sins that we find entangling us again and again and again. We must cast off every weight and every sin so that we might, as the next phrase says, run with endurance the race that is set before us. And as we've been talking about, the race is the race of faith. The same race completed by Old Testament witnesses who have gone before. The same race that Jesus himself completed, as we'll see in a moment. And verse 2 tells us to run this race by Looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus is the means by which we endure. You see, difficulties have a way of clouding our attention. When we're facing difficulties, our tendency is to lose sight of Jesus. That's what was happening to the Hebrew believers. The difficulty of persecution which in their case meant imprisonment, the plundering of their property, public reproach, this great difficulty tempted them to turn their gaze from Christ. That's why they were in danger of going back into willful sin. That's why they were in danger of allowing weights and sins to impede their run of faith. So the writer of Hebrews implores them to look Again to Jesus, not to the mounting difficulties around them. And the idea is not just a glance. You know, looking is an ongoing activity. Perhaps a better way to render it is let us fix our eyes on Jesus. You You will pursue what you behold the Hebrew believers are to behold Jesus, not to look to self, not to summon some inner strength, not to surmise the overwhelming difficulties of the race, but to fix their eyes on Jesus, the object of their faith. Like them, we're to look to to Jesus as the source of our endurance. He's described as the founder of our faith. He's the one who made our faith possible. Hebrews talks a lot about that. He tasted death for us. He became a merciful and faithful high priest who isn't ashamed of us, who's freed us from sin. He is God's true Sabbath rest for us. He became a better sacrifice for us, better than the blood of bulls and goats. See, we're not on the race of faith because we were just so smart. No, Jesus is the one who paved the course for us at great cost to himself and then plucked us out of sin and put us on the path. And Jesus is described as the perfecter of our faith. I think you can say he's the finisher of our faith. He's not going to leave us in an unfinished, incomplete status. He's intent on completing our salvation. I mean, aren't you glad that Jesus is the founder and finisher of your faith. Isn't that good news? Isn't it encouraging to know that it's not you who starts your race? It's not you who completes your salvation. By grace, it's God who does that in the person of Jesus Christ. And we're to look to Jesus not only as the source of our faith, but as the example of our faith. He doesn't expect us to endure anything that he himself hasn't endured. He's not a leader who asks us to do anything that he himself hasn't done. By studying him, we can learn how to run the race of faith well. I like how John Christostom put it. He said, as in all arts and games, we impress the art upon our minds by looking to our master's receiving certain rules through our sight. So here also, if we wish to run well, let us look to Christ, even to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Specifically, we're to model the joy-fueled endurance that characterized his race. Because of the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. You know, we often think of the cross as an implement of death. Uh, and it was that. But we don't think of the cross often, I think, as an implement of shame. I mean, think of the shameful process of crucifixion. Uh, crucifixion would sometimes take days. Uh, and the point of that wasn't only a, a means of torture. It was, but... It was to allow for max shame to be hurled at the person being crucified. And we see some of that in the gospel accounts of Jesus' crucifixion, don't we? I mean, they were mocking him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. That wasn't just to hurt, which it would have. That was making fun of his claim to be king of the Jews. They put that on a sign above his head, too, you'll remember. And crucifixions as well, they weren't way up in the air like you see in modern depictions. A lot of times, they were just you know, a couple inches off the ground. Um, So people could come right up to the person's face and scorn them. And think not only of the shameful process of crucifixion, think of the shame that Jesus incurred from bearing our sins. He became sin in our place. That means that he took the shame of sin upon himself. Remember the Garden of Eden? Remember when Adam and Eve sinned and they recognized that they were naked and they were ashamed? See, sin brings about shame. And think of some of the shameful things that you did, Christian, in your unbelief. Things that you're embarrassed to even think about now. Christ took those sins upon himself. But Jesus was willing to endure the shame of the cross because of the joy set before him. He thought lightly of the shame. He disregarded the shame. I think that's the sense of it. And what was the joy that Christ set before him that filled his vision such that he was willing to disregard the shame of the cross? Well, it was that he might be seated at the right hand of the throne of God, just like Psalm 110 prophesied. It was that he might have dominion over all things as the one who fulfills Psalm 8. He's the better Adam who became lower than the angels and then was crowned with glory and honor, all things being subjected to him. Jesus was glad. To exchange the shame of the cross for the reward ahead of him. And by looking to Jesus as our example, we can run the race ahead of us with the same cross embracing endurance. As the joy ahead of Christ fueled his run, so too can the heavenly joys ahead of us fuel our run as he was willing to disregard the difficult shame of the cross, so too can we, by focusing on Jesus, think lightly of the difficulties of our course. So having urged the Hebrew believers to run the race ahead of them with endurance by looking to Jesus, the author now exhorts them to respond accordingly. Verse 3 says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This command to consider Jesus in verse 3, it's just another way of saying looking to Jesus in verse 2. And again, we're not talking about considering Jesus in a momentary, fleeting kind of a way. We're talking about considering him Constantly, pervasively, continually. And again, the emphasis noted on endurance. Consider him who endured from hostil- such hostility by sinners against himself. The Hebrew believers were enduring hostility by sinners against themselves. How encouraging to know that Christ endured hostility too. Neither the Hebrew believers nor us are facing any hostility greater than that which Jesus overcame. And the result of considering Jesus is that we won't become weary and lose heart. I like how the CSB puts it, that we won't grow weary and give up. The threat to the Hebrew believers was that they would give up the race of faith because of the difficulties around them. But by considering Jesus... We can press on with endurance. So what about you? Are you running the race of faith with endurance today? Perhaps some of you have never entered the race of faith. You need to know that though the way is narrow and the path is hard, the race of faith is the only way to have eternal life. You can choose to sit on the sidelines. You can choose not to strain and struggle through the difficulties that following Christ brings. But if you persist in unbelief, you will regret it. Destruction is coming for you, dear unbeliever. Destruction that you deserve because of your sin, and you need to run away from it. You need to run towards Jesus Christ. The problem is that you don't see Jesus right now in all of his compelling glory and mercy towards sinners like you. You need God to take the scales from your eyes so that you will behold the glory of Christ. You need God to make you see how the weights and sins holding you down will destroy you. You need him to fill you with a new love for his son so that you can run the race of faith. So if you're an unbeliever this morning, ask God to open your eyes today that you might be saved. And to my brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to exhort us to tend to our run by looking to Jesus. First, let's identify and abandon any impediments to our run. If you're not running well, don't expect to finish well. To be clear, none of us is running perfectly. We're always dealing with weights and sins. That's one reason we're longing for heaven. We're tired of sin. We want to be perfected. But there's a massive difference between running imperfectly, unwillingly, that is giving 110% to run as well as possible, and willfully running imperfectly. Sin will always be nipping at your heels as you run the race of faith. That's just reality. But it's never okay to willfully remain entangled by some sin. You'll always be dealing with those weights which slow down your run. That's normal. What's not normal is for you to deliberately hold on to those weights, knowingly allowing them to impede you. This passage teaches that the type of run that finishes the race is characterized by casting off any and all impediments. It would be foolish for you to think that you can willfully run poorly, Christian, and still finish well. Do you really think that you can sneak some pet sin across the finish line and that God will still reward you? Do you really think that you can hold on to some weight and expect it not to do what all weights do and drag you down, ultimately, into the fires of hell? Don't be foolish. We need to be reminded. I need to be reminded that willfully entangling ourselves with weights and sins threatens our salvation. So evaluate your run, Christian. To see if you're running in such a way as to finish the race. Are you repenting of all known sins? Are you laying down all known weights? Brothers and sisters, let's cast off such things. Let's run in a manner that is as weight-free and sin-free as possible so that we might endure the race of faith. But if you're hearing this and your takeaway is to look to yourself to try harder, to do better, then I've failed to preach this text well. Because the means to run the race of faith with endurance is to look not to self, but to Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus empowers us to let go of sins and weights alike and to be invigorated in our run. So yes, identify weights and sins impeding your run, but don't stop there. Look then to Jesus. Recognize that your continued struggle to abandon such impediments indicates a vision problem. It's a lacking of looking to Jesus. And then consider him. When you stumble in sin, consider Jesus. When you're bogged down with weights, consider Jesus. Consider him again and again and again. And never stop fighting to consider him. I use that word fighting because I think it describes our experience when it comes to considering Jesus. But doesn't it amaze you, given how wonderful our Savior is, How little we think about him. How rarely we ponder him. How infrequently he is our best thought by day or by night. The difficulties of the race before us often pull our gaze away from Christ. In the future when we see Christ face to face, we won't have any trouble considering him. But we're not there yet. It's not natural to us yet. Right now we must fight to consider Jesus, especially when difficulties cloud our vision. So fight to consider Jesus. And, and here's some particular aspects of Jesus to consider based on our text. Consider him as your finisher. You know, sometimes we act as if the completion of our salvation is some up-in-the-air question, like, if the patriots are going to be any good this year consider jesus do you really think that the unfailing son of god is going to somehow fail to bring your salvation to completion do you really think that jesus who died on the cross taking god's wrath on himself in your place christian that after rescuing you from your sin he's going to fail to get you to heaven jesus who put in you the race jesus who started the race of faith in you is going to finish the work that he started Yes, you have difficulties. Yes, you still have remaining sin. Jesus knows that better than you do. But the reality is that Jesus is putting the finishing touches of his salvation on you. You will finish the race because Jesus, your finisher, is for you. Consider him as your example. Jesus endured the cross before he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. His race to glory was full of difficulties, and you should expect the same of your race to glory. The difficulties that accompany your run of faith shouldn't surprise you. Jesus endured. You will endure. So take heart. Know that the troubles you face are necessary for your salvation. Know that Jesus, your forerunner, isn't asking you to endure any temptation that he himself hasn't overcome. Know that your present struggles will, in a little while, seem light and momentary compared to the eternal weight of glory that Jesus has gone ahead of you to prepare. And fight to consider him as your reward. Jesus endured the cross thinking lightly of the shame because of the joy that was set before him. Let us likewise be so enamored with the joy ahead of us that we too will think lightly of our present difficulties. And what is that joy? Is it not Christ himself? Isn't he the essence of all the pleasures that await us at God's right hand forever? Christian, you will soon be with Christ. You will soon see him face to face. He will soon be in your grasp as your ever-satisfying Reward. So consider Jesus. Stare at him. Ponder Him. Let Him so fill your vision that every impeding weight falls from your hands and every clinging sin melts away. And finally, let's fight to consider Jesus together. Don't miss this. Jesus, our finisher, our example, our reward is seen most clearly in the church. Together, we are his body. Jesus can't be separate from us. Together, we are his bride. Jesus is one of us. Together, we are his temple. Jesus is dwelling among us. Considering Jesus so that we might run with endurance is primarily something we do together as the church. If you want to see the ocean, go to the beach. If you want to see trees, go to the forest. If you want to see Jesus, go to the church. Your robust participation in Christ Fellowship Church is necessary for your endurance in the race of faith. As much as possible, then, run as a pack. Don't be a loner. You will best see Jesus and therefore best endure when you're around Christ's people. Strive to be at church every week and not with some zombie like vestige of your fully awake self. Be alive when you get here so that you are awake enough to see Jesus and be on time, not because it's polite but so that you don't shortchange your opportunity to see Jesus. And participate in the various ministries of this church. Sign up for home fellowships. Ladies, go to women's events. Men, go to men's events. These opportunities will help you to see Jesus. And when you're here, engage with the expectation of seeing Jesus. When Scott or whoever else is preaching... Listen for the voice of Jesus. When you're singing, think of and celebrate Jesus. When you're partaking in the Lord's Supper, reflect on Jesus. And when you're serving your brothers and sisters in Christ, do so with a view to serving Jesus. Make Christ Fellowship Church the focal point of your consideration of Jesus Christ so that together with your brothers and sisters, you might run the race before you with endurance. May God give us the grace to fix our eyes on Jesus individually and corporately so that we might happily endure the race ahead of us all the way to glory. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for Jesus, the founder, the finisher of our faith. Thank you, Father, for plucking us out of our sin and putting us on a new path, And Lord, we confess that we struggle to endure. And we pray that you would help us. That you would empower us by your spirit to look to Jesus, to consider him anew. To stare full at his wonderful face and to be strengthened. Help us, Lord. This is beyond us. We need your grace. We need you to finish our salvation. We need your help along the course. So help us, we pray. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you that we will endure, not on the basis of ourselves, but because you are working within us. Be glorified in us, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.